perspectives. Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king. Mark presents him as the servant. Luke presents him as the son of man. John presents him as the son of God. We began last week in the Gospel of John. I've never preached through John, and so this is a fresh challenge for me that I'm so enjoying the time that I've been given for study, meditation, and thought. In the beginning was the Word. Move on, further on, further up, further into the prologue, and we come to verse 11 this morning. John chapter 1, verse 11. And we'll read through to the end of what's commonly referred to as the prologue, the words before the words. What he tells us before he tells us. Verse 11 He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This is God's word. Let's obtain for help. Father, come now and help us to hear from you. Break this bread from heaven and feed us. Father, we pray that for those discouraged, that, Lord, we might look up, way up, and find fresh hope. Those, Lord God, in need of course correction. Those in need of change. strength for them. I pray for power to live for you and love their children, and I thank you for my mom. I pray you bless her. Father, we pray that you would encourage our hearts together as we sit at your feet, Lord. I pray that your people would hear from you and not from me. I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Maybe you've heard of the popular Indian parable about the six blind men elephant. It's been used widely. You know the story. One blind man feels his trunk and thinks it's a snake. One feels his leg and thinks it's a tree. One feels his side and thinks it's a wall. One feels his ear and thinks it's a fan. One feels his tusk and thinks it's a spear. One feels his tail and thinks it's a rope. Blind guys, of course, you know, are only understanding a part of this great beast. Of course, the moral of the story is that we ought to be careful about our perspective. It's limited. We don't be too sure of anything. We must never claim to know something absolutely. Kind of an ode to relativism and religious inclusivism. What the story doesn't contend with, though, is an elephant that speaks. If you stop and think about it, a 
as we come to the gospel of God, we're coming to this great I am, this marvelous sovereign king over all things, this creator, and he speaks. He has to speak. We would not know of him if he did not speak. The great I am is determined to be known by his creation. And for those of us in coming to John 1 and scratching our heads, that's not a bad thing. We're talking about a finite mind grappling with infinite God, eternal God. The, 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 uh, the, the inner Trinitarian counsel that God made in eternity past. And if you have a rough time with that, you're in good company. Alright? That's okay. If you feel small and like a creature in light of John 1, that's okay. That's part of the plan. His children is linked to our grasp of and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me lay it down another way. If you have a low view or a negligible grasp of Jesus Christ, you cannot have a healthy and vital walk of faith. And John helps us so mightily, particularly in these foggy, fuzzy, fairy days. Here's why, because he is so wonderfully binary. The switch is either on or off. It is yay or nay, yes or no. I mean, it's a, it's an I or an O or a one or a zero. That's just the nature of John's gospel. There is life and death, darkness and light, heaven and hell. That's the nature of the gospel of John. This, this gospel, this story of God, helps us to understand that God is for God, that he is in it to win it. He doesn't leave us groping in the dark, unsure, unstable, insecure. He calls us forth towards a kind of amazement. The word amazement is one of those words that means you're all in. You can't be sort of amazed, but you can't be kind of pregnant or kind of saved. It is one over the other. He's calling us forth in God's gospel to be freshly amazed. The gospel rescues us. This gospel rescues us from a low view of God. It forces us to look up, to be truly amazed, to see God, to, to relish in his authority and his mastery. Because, dear friends, as we gather in this place today, even this day, on Mother's Day, we either have a small God or a big God. It's just that simple. It was a Dutch theologian, Abraham Piper, who put it succinctly. He said there's not a square inch of all the universe over which he does not say, mine. That's a big God. That's the God that we are called forth to understand and recognize in John's gospel. And so, as I mentioned, the first 18 verses typically referred to as the prologue, the words before the words. He tells us what he's going to tell us. And what I want to do is I want to navigate the, the last part of that this morning with you and lay out some signposts that help us as we think about what it is that God is declaring about himself. Because, if you will, the ultimate elephant has spoken, and he's spoken clearly. First of all, you'll notice this. God is revealed. 
just to back up before we go forward in verse 9, it says, That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So we recognize in this chapter that God is determined to reveal himself. He is the true light that gives light. There are two forms of revelation. There's natural revelation, that's nature, which speaks to us of God. Speaks to us of design and order and variety and wonder. And we have this natural grasp of God as creator as we look at nature. And it is beautiful around here right now. The leaves are just about to unfurl in all of their glory. The colors that are mingling together in the hills around the hill towns are beautiful. And it's declaring to me the glory of God. And so we understand that natural world as a description or revelation about God. But we also have another revelation about God. It's the supernatural. This is where God specifically reveals to us about himself. We would be limited if he did not do this, if God did not speak to us, if we had no love letter, if he had not communicated specifically to us in the word of God. The overwhelming force of these verses is that God is determined to make himself known to us. God is determined to make himself known to us. Ever played hide and seek with a, a, little, a little child? It's kind of interesting because they lose heart quickly. And what I've noticed is that at some point when you're playing hide and seek, you got to help them along a little bit. You know, a little noise, a little peep, a little something, keep them on track. But the reality is that God is not playing hide and seek with us. And he has spoken. He's drawing us to himself that we might understand him. God the Son came into the world to light the place up so that we could see. The light of the world has come so that we could see. There was a couple of guys that used to help me in Halifax with my series of broken down vehicles that I had there. They were the father and son team, John and Elliot. Every once in a while, we ended up in a garage in the south end of Halifax late at night, and I can still hear Elliot saying to his son, sometimes not so patiently, who are you holding the light for? Who are you holding the light for, John? You're not, you're not holding it for me. <laughs> nice. Just as an aside, God took Elliot home recently to be with the Lord. What a, what a great and godly guy, but just so human, too, right? Who are you holding the light for? But we, we come to John one, and we realize that the light has come so that we can see. We can work, and we can labor, and we can know, and we can perceive, and we can discern, because the light has gone on. Those of us who have known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have had this eureka moment where we have said, I see. I didn't used to see, but I can see now. The scales in the darkness are no longer over my eyes, and I can see. I, I see in the light brilliance of Jesus Christ, my sin, my rebellion, my, my contentious, bitter spirit, and I see in him one who is altogether lovely has come to rescue me. Because he is the light we can see him. He has been revealed to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 states it this way, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but that those things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God is revealing himself. When we meditate on Jesus,
Jesus Christ, when we see him, when we understand his life, the doxa, the glory, the blow that is God, sin becomes sour, self becomes small, serving the king becomes essential. It's his grace that makes knowing him possible. As the old Puritan Alexander Pagan, who wrote, Grace is young glory. Grace is young glory. Grace is being revealed in relationship. He's letting us get to know him. What is the glory of Mother's Day? It's that we have known our moms. They loved us, served us, cared for us, taught us, instructed us, wiped us up and cleaned us up and patched us up and told us that we could do it and that we were this or we were that. And it's the relationship there that becomes glorious. And even today, as some of us long for more time with our moms, or we miss our moms because God has taken them home. It's all because of relationship. We've experienced them, and so therefore we delight in them. We seek after God, and we understand that the light has come into this world. He is found. God has determined that he would be known by us. God speaks. The first signpost, God is revealed. Second signpost, and it comes out of verse 10 and into verse 11, and I realize that we're backtracking before we go forward. But you'll notice that again, God is rejected. We concluded here last week, the latter part of verse 10 says, and the world did not know him. Verse 11 goes on, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So we might say, secondly, there is this, there is this scary underbelly of truth that comes out of John 1, and that that's the light is rejected. The world didn't know him. He is unrecognized by him. Even his own people don't see him and don't savor him. And this backs up what has already been expressed in verse 5. Darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. And so he, if he has come to reveal himself and light up our path, we recognize that there is an active agency working and laboring against him to reject him. There, there, there are those who are so ruinously fallen that they cannot even identify their creator. And without him, without this light going on, we don't know who we are, what we're doing here, where we're going, and what it's all about. That's the tragedy and the trauma of rejecting Jesus Christ. You spurn his truth, you run from his claims, you snub him, you scorn him, you despise and disdain him. And tragically, you never end up with answers to the easy questions and heavies that all of us as humans contend with. Which is not far afield from what Romans chapter 1 says. There's people who are people suppressing truth, people who don't want to know things, people who don't want to hear the description that God gives. That's why we read that in his righteous wrath, he gives them up, he gives them up, he gives them over. And when darkness, this is what darkness looks like. Light here for us in John 1 becomes a symbol of knowledge. The light goes on for us. And yet we know that apart from his supernatural work, natural man cannot find God. Natural man doesn't want to find God, doesn't want to know God. Because it deals with our sovereignty. It deals and it contends with this idea that we are in charge and we are over all and in all and through all. Natural man can't find 
associate with God and participate in our salvation. That's why natural man, sinful man, hates verses like this. And here's why. Because it puts God in charge and not us. It puts God on the throne and not us. It it unseats us on the throne. I think of Henry's little poem, I think whatever God's going to do for my unconquerable soul, I'm the captain of my fate, and so on and so forth. Which is just really Satan rising up and shaking his fist at God, saying, I will be like the most high. That's John 3 1 helps us as a corollary. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Because I'm saying the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. God gives to us this status of His children. He brings us into the family outsiders. Folks like us become insiders. Not because of things that we've done, but because of what He's doing in receiving us. He welcomes us. And He says, Come on, you all, you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And He comes and He says, You want abundant life? Come to me. We recognize His reception for us. That brings us fourthly and finally to this signpost as we chart our way through the text in verses 14 to 18. I put this heading over God is rejoiced over. God is rejoiced over. In verses 14 and following, there is this celebration about the amazing character and work of God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. That's the best Christmas Advent text you've ever had. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, His doxa, His brightness, His brilliance. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There was something for us as believers to rejoice over. This work of God, He comes, the Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. So expressive, so full, so weighty. The idea that God would tabernacle us, that God would tent amongst us, that God would pitch his tent and be with us. How would humanity, with all of our limitations, ever know this great grace God? Well, he must come and live amongst us. The only way for finite man to have a relationship with infinite God is for him to come to our turf. There I use the slang into our hood. He's got to come to our village. Amongst us. Therefore, in verse 14, we behold his glory. This is the verse that I used to, as the working title of the series in John's Gospel. John testifies to this as an eyewitness. Even as John the Baptist will testify, John could say, I saw his glory, the glory of the only God of the Father. And the word, therefore, beheld is stronger than seeing and looking. This is not merely taking notice. This word that's given to us in 14 carries with the idea of an intent observation. John tells us that he and the other disciples carefully studied Jesus Christ, understanding the glory of the word made flesh. You might say it this way, he took a course in theology. He took a course in theology. Please, dear friends, don't don't ever think that your study of God is a waste of time. We do a lot of things as modern to waste time. We do a lot of things to waste time. I'm hearing now about Netflix producing a sock that when you fall asleep, when you're binge-watching, it turns Netflix off. So that when you wake up, 
this anything. We're wasting a lot of time, folks. One thing that you will never feel regretful over is studying God, knowing God, delighting in God. Instead of mastering mediocrity, the call of God from the Gospel of John is study Him, behold Him, marvel at Him, hold Him up the way you would a beautiful diamond and look at all the reflected, refracted angles and find fresh delight in God. say, well, almost proudly, well, I know theologian, but feel like saying, why not? He's given to us his love letter. Why don't you learn of God? Why don't you ponder the imponderable? Why don't you search out the unsearchable? Why don't you find yourself, instead of instead of playing in some muddy puddle, why don't you find yourself swimming in the ocean of his grace? Oh, how glorious God is. Verse 16, it speaks about his fullness, something that we get to rejoice over. We have all received, it says, grace for grace. That's an interesting expression, grace for grace. It's grace that just keeps coming. This is the widow pouring out oil into her jars to pay her bills and then running out of containers. This is overflowing grace. Literally in the Greek, Grace instead of grace, grace upon grace, grace following grace, grace heaped up upon grace. You get the, the language here? I mean, this is a deluge. The language that demands to be understood is that this is a fountain that is spilling over. This is a river that is overcoming its banks. He gives to us grace upon grace. So why is it that so many of us, we say, I am so very fragile. I am so very brittle. I am so very dry. I am so very parched. He's offered to us grace upon grace. Remember, here this interesting expression, if I would have known how bountiful his supply was, I would have come with a bucket instead of a little tiny teacup. See, the tragedy for some of us is that we've come to God and we said, I just want a little bit. Like, I don't want to get carried away. I don't want to, you know, really get radical here. I, I just want a little bit of God. I want to be sort of amazed. And yet, oddly, you find it never, ever works that way. You're either amazed or you're not. And John is calling us forth in John's Gospel to be freshly amazed at his grace upon grace. That in his fullness, we are receiving from him. May God help us to understand and recognize his supply come with buckets, seeking him out, gloriously trying to understand how mighty and amazing and majestic he is. According to verse 17, truth was conveyed before, but the fullness of grace and truth is coming through Jesus Christ to us. And then finally, in verse 18, the only begotten Son has declared who God is. It's as though you see in Jesus Christ a sculptor tearing away his sheep and showing us the masterpiece. Oh. There he is, God wrapped in flesh. 
giving to us three main metaphors. The first is that he is the word, Logos, that he communicates, that he speaks to us. The second is that he is the, the life, that he animates, he brings us to life. And the third is that he's the light, that he reveals or he illuminates. John's gospel can be understood with these simple images by a child. Thank you. 
finally, after 56 hours, a paramedic reached her. She was wedged so tightly they had to use Vaseline to pull her to freedom. Finally, Jessica McClure was free, and many people doubted that it was possible. Understand that in the book of John, as Jesus Christ is revealed as the Son of God, that God was determined to drill down a shaft by which he could break through to us and rescue us. And all of us who know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, we know what it's like to be pulled literally to the gate towards him. We know what it's like to have the hand of heaven patiently pursue us and then draw us to himself with cords of love. That's the story of redemption. That's the story of God coming wrapped in flesh to rescue us. That's the story, dear ones, that we get to celebrate, that we get to ponder, that we get to wonder over, and that we get to rejoice in. Father, we thank you for our time together. I'm mindful, Lord God, that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There might well be hearts that need to be pierced today. There are those that are running far afield of you, those still in darkness. Father, I pray that the light would go on. There are questions that are being asked in the deep recesses of hearts. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's it about? There are not answers apart from the great I am. Pray that you would do your special and certain work in hearts. We trust you. We rest in you. We hope in you. And Father, I pray that our faith, faith as a church family, would grow and increase. I pray that we might spend more and more time pondering you. And that people would ask us the reason we have hope. Father, I pray that we might love you more. And we might know you clearly. We ask all of this in the strong name of Christ our Savior.